Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. This is a show where we review every episode of Revolutionary Girl Utena, except the trick here is that I am a super fan. My partner here is not. This is her first time watching the entire series. I'm Autumn. And I'm Chesney. And today we are here to talk about episode nine, The Castle Said to Hold Eternity. Oh boy. <laughs> I know. I'm like, God, I don't even know how to start this one. <laughs> yeah. So we found where the plot has been hiding for the last couple episodes. Uh <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's been hiding in uh Toga's fabulous hair. That's where. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse so- me. Excuse me. Toga and Sionji's fabulous <laughs> hair, like combined. <laughs> Since this was their episode. <laughs> oh, very much so. Uh, this reveals, like, if you didn't realize that the Curry High trip was a filler episode, this makes it completely obvious. Um, this is one of, like, the major turning points of the show. Uh, where, from now on, the show will continue to be more serious with the exception of a few episodes interspersed here and there this is the first time we get like our real hints at the backstory that connects all of these people and what the true stakes are especially for Utana who we've been with her this entire time and we knew that she was an orphan but the depth of it we first see in this episode yeah and like you said, prior to this episode, somebody, you know, like me coming in new to the show would have no idea that Sionji and Toga know each other prior to being on the student council together. Like, right. I don't think that there was a like a hint or a drop or any mention of them being childhood friends. I don't remember that anywhere. Right. Uh, this is also an episode where we get more of the end of the world, finally. Yes. Oh, my gosh. We get a big hint at the end. Yeah. So let's just start at the top, shall we? Mm-hmm. So at the very beginning, uh, Utana is reading a what looks like a manga um, under an archway in a hallway. And there's a bunch of girls running by and she overhears them talking about a, a kendo match going on. We get a moment that this show does so well, which is the use of objects to represent people in like a metaphorical or synecdoche sense where in this room, in the kendo dueling arena, they have uh, all these boken around the room and that is meant to represent all the girls watching. Because in this case, the only two characters who are important are Sionji and Toga. And so they are the only ones drawn as people. The rest of them are just these dueling practice swords. And and there's still motion in the scene, too. Like, they're falling against the rack as if, like, girls leaning forward to cheer, right? Yeah. Yeah, at the very... We see some silhouettes like when it, the camera pans to um, or rather the frame, <laughs> the frame is drawn with uh, Utena in it. But uh, other than that, yeah, it was really cool to see. Uh, it's really cool to see 
animation shots like that where it's the audience is represented by objects instead of actual people. You don't see that much in anime these days, I feel like. Yeah. It, it's a... I don't want to say it's like a lost form, but mm. now it sometimes feels like animators are so ready to show off how many yeah. characters that they can design. Mm-hmm. They put them in every scene in the background if they can. Yeah. Um, it's also like so easy to just like clone stamp your way to a full room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. But like... I am sure, like, on some level, it saved some money in animation to not have to do whole faces and just do the swords. But as a symbolic thing, I really liked it. Um, Yeah. This is one of those things where the show saves money doing things, but they result in these happy accidents that are better than if they had just done it straight. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Also, hey, I guess because Toga and Sionji are fighting now uh it means that sionji is no longer switch bodies with choo-choo <laughs> which is yeah, that really unfortunate <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh it's really unfortunate because i feel like a lot of things could have been resolved easier if they had you know just continued being in each other's bodies <laughs> like i don't know why uh anthe was kind enough to give uh to give them the uh, curry that swaps their bodies back again because they really should have just left it as it was. Magical monkeys deserve a seat on the student council. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Even if that means co-opting somebody else's body to do it. <laughs> also, come on. Like, I just can't get the shot of like tiny little Sionji and Choo Choo's body with like his little hair tied up and practicing kendo. That was the cutest <laughs> dang thing. Like, why would you ever switch that back? He can't do much more harm as a little monkey thing. <laughs> <laughs> I want like the amiibo version of that character. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my God. That would be amazing. <laughs> like a little uh, Funko Pop. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> that would be amazing. Somebody make that happen, please. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening and you have the means to make this happen, please make that happen. I will buy it. Please do. Oh my God. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Something else about this fight, though, is that um, I noticed that they drew Toga, like they both, I think, had their hair up, but they drew Toga so much more feminine looking in this fight at least to me i feel like both of them read that way all the time (laughs) so this doesn't like stand out to me as anything more feminine than they usually look (laughs) he just looked a little bit different to me but i i don't know it was something about the way they drew his hair i was like oh okay this is like doing it for me a little bit (laughs) like the man bun (laughs) yeah but like there was like a little swoop over the eye. I don't know. Sure. I think I'm revealing <laughs> too much about myself here. So we can move on and talk about the fight. Speaking of the fight, mm-hmm. uh, it's over fairly quickly. And apparently Toga wins. I don't know the rules of Kendo well enough to know why like a blow to the head and a blow to the chest don't both like win. Are we supposed to know that? toga stroke struck first like i don't 
because the shot doesn't show it. So I don't know like how everyone just reaches this consensus that Toga won. Yeah. So at the end of the duel, all the girls, like the, the sword girls, are talking about how amazing the two of them are and how Sayonji is wonderful and Toga's amazing. And one of them says, you're my prince in like this really enchanted, enamored way. And that catches Utena's attention instantly. But we move immediately to them talking and Toga says uh, something about being Sayonji's oldest friend. And Sayonji's like, what do you mean old friend? And Toga says, well, aren't I your, or aren't you my only friend? In kind of like this mocking tone, like, is that the rumor about him that he only has one friend and it's Sayonji? Yeah, like, that's what I didn't really understand about that exchange, because I'm like, even if you're like, aren't I your only friend? Like, or some, I don't know. It it just is weird. I'm like, this is like a, it's not even just a jab at Sionji. It's also a, a weird jab at yourself because you're just saying that like, you two are all you have, but like you're mocking him for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> like what, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish here? I'm not quite understanding that. It's like a weird toxic friendship that we're revealing in this episode. Oh, yeah. No, their relationship is completely toxic. Um, <laughs> there is nothing healthy about the two of them as friends. And, like, we're going to get it in, like, a flashback in a little while of some definite gay subtext between these two that if you didn't notice it before now is now just, like, right there in front of you. <laughs> My uh, hamster brain immediately when you said that is just... Just guys being dudes. <laughs> and it just <laughs> it immediately flashes to the scene of like uh, one of them uh, knocking the kendo sword out of the hand, which I'm, that's probably not the actual word for it. I'm so sorry. I don't know technical terms, but knocking the um, the kendo tool out of the hand and like hitting the hand, the back of the hand and then like bandaging it in my brain, just immediately flashing to that and being like, just guys being dudes. Just guys being <laughs> Just pals. Just pals pals. palling around. (laughs) Just pals giving each other first aid on the battlefield, you know. (laughs) So before we get to like that glorious gayness, um, (laughs) we have this moment with Choo Choo playing with a bug and then a frog eats it and Choo Choo is super sad and we're all sad for Choo Choo. Oh my God. Choo Choo had it rough this episode. Yeah, because then Sionji like comes along and kicks him. Yeah, and like what the fuck, before, dude. <laughs> the frogs, like him and the frog, get into it, and then yeah, Sionji kicks him, and then oh god, poor Choo Choo. <laughs> and also, like, I'm surprised Utina didn't have a reaction to that. Like, I know it's a small thing, but like, <laughs> I guess she was like focused on what he was saying. But yeah, like, we were we dude. were way too busy with like. The Yaoi subtext here of <laughs> um, like because this is where we go into the flashback of him saying that he's known Toga for 10 years, and yeah, this is where we see the bandaging of the hand, and it's super gay, like it's just super gay. <laughs> oh. These two have clearly explored their sexuality as teens together, 
And now they have like that weird ex-boyfriend dynamic. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Where like, they're, they're like just ex-boyfriends now, right? Like that's <laughs> Yeah, and they're like a little catty to each other. Like, oh. It took me until you said that to realize the dynamic that happened in this episode. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> They're exes who, like, remained friends, but there's always that tension between the two of them. Yeah, because I was like, why are you treating your friend this way? Oh. I love how, like, as we discuss this, this just becomes canon now. Like, for us, <laughs> this is just how it is. Sorry, listener, yeah. if you wanted, like, to interpret this a different way. Sionji and Toga are ex-boyfriends. That's just it. His Full stop. History will say that they were just friends. <laughs> And they were roommates as well. Uh, <laughs> oh, but yeah. So this is when we get the flashback, right? Or yeah. is it later? Well, okay, we get like half of the flashback now. We don't get like the okay. full big deal until a little bit later because right here, Utena confronts Sionji and is like, "Do you actually love Anthe, or are you just a fuck boy?" <laughs> yeah. This and, like this interaction between Utena and Sionji is so good. It is their best interaction up till like from episode one up until now. Like it's so good. <laughs> right, because she's taken him to task on this bullshit that he's been spewing this whole time of loving her. Yeah. Yeah. And and he tips his hand on this one and says and basically says, like, he just wants her. Because getting her means he has beaten Toga and has gotten his, like, eternal thing. And she mm -hmm. calls him out on that, too. She says, she's just a pawn to you. You don't love her. Yeah. And then she also says my favorite line, which is, you can't even beat Toga, so how could you beat me? <laughs> <laughs> so good. Just chef's kiss. So good. Eat shit, Sionji. <laughs> I, was, I literally wrote LMAO the confidence. I love it. <laughs> so this is the big flashback. And this flashback is so loaded with plot points and just like thematic elements. I, like, I had to pause our viewing a couple of times just to take notes on this because so much happens in this scene and so much gets revealed. We'll try and hit all of it. But like, wow, like this, like I said at the beginning, this is the moment the show turns. Because every, ep or like every anime has that episode where... You're going along, you think you understand the formula of the show, and then it just hits you with the change. Um, if anyone has watched Madoka, you know what episode 10 brought to the to the series. Um, I'm thinking, like, if you were a fan of Sailor Moon, uh, when they introduced Chibiusa, like, it changes the formula overnight. You know, like, there are these moments in shows that immediately dial up the tension on what has been happening the entire time. And 
this is that moment for this show. We're going to get another one in episode 33, and fans of the show will know exactly what I'm talking about with episode 33. But this is the first moment where the show goes from lighthearted to really, truly serious drama stuff between these characters. And it is not shy about tackling some really deep existential stuff, too. Yeah. And so, like, this is the big flashback. This is the moment. Um, do you want to describe it at all? Um, I had one question before we go forward. So, you know, in again, in the dialogue between Otena and um, Sionji, there's a moment where Sionji says, if I don't win the duels, I'll never beat him. And she follows it up with, you mean Toga, right? And he doesn't answer. And there's there's a small flashback there, too, of like two figures silhouetted. One seems bigger than the other. It doesn't seem like Toga, but I could be wrong. Is that ever revealed or is that was that just like an, a hint or an allude to Toga after all? Because oh it God. almost seemed like a father figure. It was so quick. It was like gone in the blink of an eye. Okay, no. Um, that was just Toga kneeling over Sionji having beaten him. Like, Sionji was down. Oh, That's why he was smaller. Okay. okay, okay, okay. So do you want to describe the, the big flashback? Okay. So, I will try my best. But basically, um, they're, you know, they're practicing kendo. Um, and they stay out too late and it's dark and it's, it's getting darker and it's raining. Um, and they're like riding on a bicycle together. Uh, it's a, like a two for one bike. Yeah. <laughs> In case um, you weren't getting the romantic subtext between these characters. <laughs> which I t completely missed. So I, I am that person that needs you to point that one out to me. Um, but yeah, so they're riding the bike. Uh, it's raining. Uh, they come up on a church and um, Toga says, oh, there's been a funeral, I believe. And they also get stopped by um, this pair of adult men that ask about... And hit um, the adult alarm. We have actual adults again. <laughs> we do, but they're sketchy and suspicious as fuck. I don't trust them. <laughs> 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 like oh, come on these are weird. just like well these are actually well-meaning adults they're looking for a missing child <laughs> i i still don't trust it <laughs> but um yeah so they're asking about um a, like a potentially kidnapped or escaped girl um and i think the pair of adults mentions then that um the parents died and the girl went missing is that correct yeah so like okay. immediately we should be thinking Utena. Yeah, exactly. We know that like that's how it went for her in her flashback. Mm-hmm. Kind of. But now we're getting the flashback from Sionji and Toga's perspective. Mm-hmm. Which is slightly different. Right. Yeah, so after the two suspicious adults leave, you know, Sionji and Toga say, no, we haven't seen anybody. And then they're like, okay, well, you know, let us know if you see her and then leave. Um, Toga just runs into the church. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
and again, there's been a funeral. There's but there's three coffins, um, each with a rose. Um, I don't know if it's engraved, but it's just on the top, like a rose design on the coffin. Yeah, and like and we it is, know from the show, like that rose symbol is everything. Yeah. And so I'm gonna ask you to like put on your tinfoil hat here. <laughs> Did Utana ever actually come out of the coffin? Oh. Hmm. So what? Is this like a a twin thing? No. Are you asking me if I think this is a twin thing or like what? No, I'm saying all of the symbols at Otori Academy are are roses. Oh, like is this all like a dream or whatever? Everything that has happened revolves around characters who were at that scene, at that moment in the, like at the funeral. Did Utena survive the accident? Hmm. Or is this all like a dream that her brain has concocted? Like, as she's sleeping and dying in the coffin. Hmm. Put on your tinfoil hat. Puzzle this one out for me. (laughs) That one is... That is really interesting. I do... Hmm. I mean, I feel like it's too... Complex. To really... Well, but there's also... There's a bunch of scenes that don't make sense. Like, that magic realism... That would be very easily explained away by like her just dreaming all of it. I don't know, but I like that theory. Okay. Proceed. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's got the three coffins. They are coffins and not caskets because of the design and everything. Um, And they've all got the three roses on them. Um, Interestingly enough, Toga opens the middle one. I believe. And um, he starts to open it. She's, and then, of course, there's a reveal of a girl with pink hair inside and her face is silhouetted out. So we don't really know what, who she is, what she looks like. But it's, like you said, alluding to Utena. Yeah, like, I mean, it's um, pink hair, which codes her as being Utena. <laughs> right, exactly. But they're doing that flashback thing where... Yes. The faces are obscured. Interestingly enough, like we actually see Toga and Sionji's faces in this flashback. In the yeah. past, even the main character of the flashback has been obscured. That's a good point. Yeah. The only other time where we see two people's faces in the flashback is when the prince is like kissing away the tears on Utena's cheek. Hmm. Even in those flashbacks, Utena and the prince are otherwise obscured. But in that shot where he's wiping her tears, uh, we can see both of their faces. So I, I guess like I'm wondering what that means that this time we see Sionji and Toga's faces and they're not obscured. But everyone else's are, including Utena's. I'm also just thinking about how this, it seems like this flashback 
is actually what happened to an extent. You know, it's what happened from Sionji's point of view, not Toga's. Um, because there's there's parts of it that are missing because Sionji wasn't there. Um, but just the difference between it seems like this like reality of what happened and the story that Utena tells herself, you know, like the fairy book or fairy book, the fairy tale book um, uh, story uh, that she tells herself of, I was like, you know, lost and alone in this graveyard and a prince came along and saved me um, and gave me this engagement ring, blah, blah, blah. Um, said, don't ever lose your, I don't remember what exactly he said, moxie, something along uh, your those nobility. lines. Thank you. <laughs> um, it, it's just interesting to me that, I mean, of course, when you're a kid and you went through a traumatic situation, like your brain kind of put th- puts things together in a different way. But she, um, I don't know if this is the right word, but like fantasized it so much and held it up to this like high standard that it's like almost entirely detached from reality. Like right. nowhere in there does it, nowhere in her story does it say, I wanted to die and lock myself in a coffin. You know what I mean? Right. She has excised that part of the memory that she was that depressed at that moment when the prince arrived. Yeah. Um, like to her, the salient part of the story is that a prince showed up and saved her, not that she was suicidal. Right. Yeah, I don't know if it's that she doesn't remember or does not let herself remember that or include it as part of her story. Because, like, there's a part of that where in order for a prince, like, like a moment like that where the prince imprints upon her in such an intense way that she is now living her life as an echo of this prince that she met that reveals the vulnerability of the state that she was in when he met her. Right. And so even if she doesn't remember why she was in that state of mind, it's still baked into her story that she was in a state that was that vulnerable. Like she does say like, yeah, the girl lost her parents. Mm hmm. But it just kind of like skips over that as unnecessary backstory and not the catalyst for putting her in a state of mind where meeting one person would change her life. Right. Yeah. And so she's like, you know, don't open the coffin. Uh, Please don't tell anybody I'm here. Uh, And Toga says, I won't tell anyone you're here. I'm an ally to all girls, which comes off even then as like the slimiest thing you could say. Right. Right? Like she's I'm a nice guy vibes. (laughs) Yes. She's so vulnerable. She's not even like looking at you. And here you are feeling up her hair while saying some shit like that. Ugh. And he describes himself. Um, he says he's a feminist, which the translation in the subtitle describes him as saying he's being chivalrous. Mm-hmm. But 
the word he actually uses is feminist. <laughs> and so like, <laughs> I, I get that Japanese borrows words from other languages all the time. Um, and that like, there are shades of meaning that are different from how we use the word feminist here. But <laughs> like, it can't, like it hits my ear in a weird way hearing him say that. In service of his dick. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Yeah, and again, like, I literally wrote in my notes, why is Toga feeling up her hair like that? Like, it was so <laughs> creepy. <laughs> you did? <laughs> like, it's so hair creepy. touching is such an intimate act, and that he just does this. And again, she's (laughs) and she's not all there, so like it's even more creepy. Ugh. So she says a line that stands out to me as being like exceptionally dark here. Um, Yeah, which is that there's an extra coffin here, so it must have been for me. First off, why was there an extra coffin there? And second, <laughs> like in that that childly childhood reasoning of, um, you know, like it, it makes sense in child logic, right? Yeah. And so, rather than process the loss, she just assumes she has died also, because after all, there's three coffins, and this must be what it means to die, right? Is you mm-hmm. climb in a coffin and stay there forever. Yeah. Um, and she asks, why does everyone go on living if they all have to die someday? There's no such thing as something eternal. And this is the moment that like the dots connect. This is where we find out that Sionji has picked up his obsession with eternity. She says this thing the like and she hits on something that existential philosophers have been pondering for as long as we could put words together. <laughs> and she asks, "What's the point of living if you have to die?" And Sionji grabs onto that and just like something out of inside out goes, okay, that is a core memory for me now. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I am taking that, the, that phrase, something eternal, and I will never let it go. <laughs> Which I don't necessarily understand why this imprinted upon him so much, you know, instead of him getting something out of it, like, um protecting the innocent or the weak or the hurt or um like life is precious instead it like it's almost like this memory just kind of like you said imprints but then also like warps inside of him and i guess it's because of the relationship with toga too like why it warps um because he doesn't have anything like he doesn't even have toga so 
I if I had to like start to put a finger on why this imprinted upon him so much, um, I guess it would be that. But even then, I'm like, I, you seem like you come from a rich family, which doesn't necessarily mean anything. But like, you seem so, like you come from a place where like people care about you. Maybe. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do something here that is kind of risky. Um, okay. I'm, I'm gonna try and put like a, a more sympathetic face to Sionji. So okay. So so stay with me here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. So when it comes to like mental health stuff, you can be a good person and have depression, and you can be an absolute trash person and have depression, and neither of those things impact whether or not you are a depressed person. Um, I think that in this moment it hits him that way because like developmentally he's at an age where, you know, he's coming to terms with mortality and all of that. Utena just had the fast forward button hit on her concept of mortality, but it's more appropriate for someone say four or five years older than her um, to be grappling with that stuff. You know, he, he looks like, he is, you know, becoming a teenager. He's getting close to that age. And, like, that's where I was at when I was 9, 10, 11 years old. I uh, was starting to, like, puzzle out those things. Like, if you're anyone who's ever tried to grapple with that as a kid, um, you know, you, you don't always have the words to express the despair of that like if you're a depressed kid and have been introduced to the concept of mortality um yeah like that's it's a tricky one to process i'll put it that way and so yeah i feel like in this moment utana has given voice to something he has already been thinking and that's why it imprints upon him this way Okay, that like, makes like it, more sense. I feel like it touches something that he has already come to understand. And as a result, he latches onto that phrasing and is like, all right, if I can prove something eternal exists, then all the rest of this is okay. Um, yeah. Because like, there's an element of envy later on right where he's trying to figure out what happened in the church that made Utana come out of the coffin and he's convinced that Toga showed her something eternal we as the audience know that it was the prince we don't know whether Toga's the prince yet right um but like Sionji is very sure that Toga had shown her something and if Toga knows right. it, why isn't he showing it to Sionji and so mm -hmm. now he's got this rivalry with him that becomes lifelong. And he is now obsessed with getting to the castle because that's where something eternal is. Yeah. So. 
now I am going to step out of defending Sionji. Uh- <laughs> no, but that that makes that makes it that makes it so much clearer. That makes so much more sense. Uh, because it was not clicking with me about what in the world was going on in his head, in his mind, or whatever to like bring him uh, to that level of obsession with it. Fundamentally, this show is about adolescence, which means dealing with adult sized problems with still sometimes childlike reasoning. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that's that age where you're old enough to understand the magnitude of these problems, but you still don't have uh, mature enough control of your emotions to, like, actually work through them. This is when you're working through these things. Right. And so for Sionji, he has come around to the idea that um, life has no meaning unless something eternal exists. So he is going to find something eternal. You know, I feel like in another life, Sionji becomes like a pastor or a priest or something. And is just like <laughs> so desperate to find God. <laughs> like that that's the route that he takes with it. I could just see that <laughs> happening. Um, let's face it. Sionji's a Reddit poster. <laughs> oh, rip. He's a, he is a red, he's a red pill fuck boy. Oh God. Ugh. Well, anyway, the next day, <laughs> um, yeah, Sionji says, the next gr- the next day the girl left the coffin and i have written down that it says toga could sense something in her eyes and sionji says he must have shown her something eternal i thought it was actually sionji that sensed something though but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it was sionji who okay like he says i could sense something different in her eyes um and that's why he concludes that Toga must have done something. Right. And then there's the flashback again, a flashback within a flashback uh, of Anthe saying, someday I'd like to go to the castle in the sky because something eternal dwells within it. Right. So there again, his whole obsession and focus gets shifted to that. Yeah. So now he has a goal. He has a very specific, tangible objective. He can find yep. something eternal if he gets to the castle in the sky. Anthe is the key to getting there. Which I don't know how he thought he was going to get up there, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, so we have this brief flash of the student council meeting. We don't get their epic uh, elevator ride with the mantra it's just we cut in in medias res and jury is talking about what happened two episodes ago with um utina in the garden and she shares what utina said about a prince 
So now the student council all know that Utena is looking for her prince, which is interesting to me that we're going to have a few scenes with Toga coming up where he now very intentionally exploits that statement. Yes. But if we remember all the way back to episode three, the night of the ball, he jokes about being Utena's prince. Like he hints at this as if he already knows. Like, I almost feel like this was supposed to be episode three. Mm. Like continuing and closing out the Sionji arc or something. Yeah. But like at the end of this, Sionji's gonna get expelled, and then they follow that arc for a while. Like, I wanna know what happened in the production of these episodes where all the way back in episode what is like the actual episode three, Toga already knows about the prince stuff. But then he finds right. out about it here. And this concludes the Sionji arc that has been kind of on pause since episode two. Yeah. So like just from like a narrative standpoint, my gut says like these episodes were supposed to be closer together than they ended up being in final production. But I don't know if we're ever going to find out what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. Because just the way that he says the reaction that he has in this episode to that revelation uh of like now i understand i feel like you know day one utena comes to the school and he sees her if he were actually her prince his actions would be very different you know like he would have sought her out uh couldn't wait to see her especially because utena talks about this as an engagement ring so if there even was something going on there uh when they were kids he would have sought her out because clearly this is something that he remembers too yeah and like that's a trope right of like the childhood engagement and then yeah. you, you re-meet again as, like, adults or whatever, or in this case, teenagers. And then, like, one party expects you to uphold this thing. <laughs> like, that's a trope <laughs> in, in manga and anime and light novels. <laughs> yeah. But that's why I don't think that it's him. Because the show really wants you to think that it's... And he really wants you to think that it's him. But I just don't think that it is because I'm like, your behavior would have been very different. So you Um, think he's just manipulating Utena this way? Oh, absolutely I do. I think he's manipulating Utena this way. And especially because at the beginning of the episode, he reveals himself to be a manipulator right there. Um, When he's talking, he calls Sionji an old friend and they have that exchange about the only friend. And then fast forward, spoiler alert, to the end of the episode, and he says, a person who truly believes in friendship is a fool. Yeah. Yeah, that is So, yeah. He's already revealed himself in this episode to be a manipulator. And I'm like, you're not going to fool me either, sir. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I don't think it's him. Yeah, I still feel like when these episodes were written, 
something happened with the order of them before the final drafts were done in production because like some of this stuff makes more sense if this was an episode three mm-hmm. and that like the current episode three was bumped down the line by one um and some of this like pacing wise makes perfect sense exactly where it is um yeah again continuity Sayonji is supposed to be a monkey right now <laughs> <laughs> We're going to like fast forward five more episodes and there's going to be a tiny Sayonji in the background practicing his kendo again. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> um, like that happens all the time, especially with like these hand animated shows back in the 90s, right? Where yeah, um, there were production delays on some of like the more expensive or more elaborate episodes. And like this is an elaborate episode. There's a reason we had a filler right before this one. Yeah. Um, like just like the number of new sets that we've never seen before. Um, Cause like the interior of the, uh, of the funeral service, um, the exterior where they're dueling, those weren't in the original flashbacks. Um, and then we have like some of the stuff that's going to happen at the dueling arena where there are shots at angles we've never seen before. So like there's a whole lot of new background art in this in this episode compared to past episodes. Yeah, we even see the entry into the forest which we had never seen before. Like we actually see Utena entering the forest in like the very beginning of the trees. So we have this moment with Utena on the bridge. And like I, we've seen like the overhead shot of the, the the school campus, and we know that like she hangs out under the archway sometimes, and then she's on this bridge. There's just so much about this place that like defies logic, and I don't know if it makes sense on an actual map. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, she's hanging out on the bridge, and. She is retelling her flashback story in her own voice for the first time. Every time we've seen the flashback to her childhood, it was always that childlike voice. Now she is speaking in her current voice, and it kind of reveals to us that that was Utena narrating those scenes back then. It wasn't just like some third party narrator. It wasn't the Shadow Girls narrating that scene. It was Utena in like her child voice. Because now we have her quoting her own flashback verbatim as she's standing yeah. on this bridge. Yeah. Um So Toga comes along and does like the cold can on the cheek trick. <laughs> And they have this conversation about the castle in the sky. And Toga drops this line. uh, You'll meet your prince there someday. And then he grabs her. Like, she's in shock at him saying this. And he takes advantage of this moment by grabbing her and pulling her in in this really flirty way. Mm -hmm. And hints that, like, maybe he's her prince. Right. And very importantly here, 
the frame, like the the border on the the scene has the white prince roses here, not Toga's red roses. Mm, I didn't catch that. Yeah. So the show has been very coy about whether or not he is in fact the prince. Because like it shows some of these like non-diegetic moments giving hints as well. Yeah. Because like it's one thing if only the diegetic stuff hints at him being the prince and like that can clearly just be one of his manipulations. But right. with the border stuff and the roses spinning, that's a non-diegetic element that's also hinting at him being the prince. I wonder... Hmm. I almost wonder if that's like a, if it could be a like Utena perception thing. Like it's a, if she felt like it was a princely moment for a second before she pulls away, but maybe it is just like the show putting that on. Yeah. I mean, we'll see, right? Like, what's your take on it? What do you think? Yeah, that's. I don't know. I feel like I feel like a lot of the roses that have appeared, like the rose border or framing, uh, has been the show itself signaling to us, as opposed to Utena's perception. It's just in this moment. I wonder if. For a brief, like, split second, if she felt that, like, Prince sweeping you off your feet moment before she pulls away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would also point out, like, Dios, when he descends from the castle, is animated with the same color, like, the the kind of soft purple hair as the prince is in the prince scenes. Mm Mm-hmm. But those scenes are also Utena's flashback, which now we have another perspective on that same scene. Yeah. Where what actually happened was some boys pushed a coffin open and found her. (laughs) Yeah. And like from episode three, Toga has kind of known all along about the prince thing. So it's also entirely possible that he is the prince and that Utena is misremembering what the prince looked like. Could be. But I feel like if if something imprints on you that strongly, you probably don't get it wrong. Oh, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I So in my undergrad... Um, my advisor's like colleague who we all shared an office with his research was on um the malleability of memory and the suggestibility mm. principle of like if you suggest something to somebody they will then retroactively change their memory to fit what you said rather than how they originally remembered it which is why, like, things like um, eyewitness accounts of crimes mm-hmm. and 
uh, police interrogations, like when you repeatedly ask the same question, um, you have to be very careful with that because like you can create a false memory just based on the power of suggestion. Um, and like the intensity of the memory doesn't always reflect the reality of the scene. Anyhow. (laughs) (laughs) So then, Hmm. Yeah, I guess we'll just see, but I just feel like, I feel like Toga's too manipulative. I, oh, and yeah, it's like, entirely points it's entirely in the con possible. column here like points in the <laughs> toga is not the prince column here is toga's a manipulative fuck so yeah this could all just be a lie <laughs> exactly yeah it could totally just be a lie to get her to play into his hands because he's wanted her pretty much from the beginning so I feel like because of who he is as a manipulator, he's going to do whatever he can to get her to fall for him. Um, case in point, where he conveniently like grabs her and draws her in, uh, trying to romance her away. And it's like, again, dude, if you were her actual prince, you would have said something when she showed up to the school on day one. Yeah. So... Uh, right after this part, you know, she obviously pushes him away and says, quit fooling around and stomps off. And then it pans over to Sionji getting a letter from the end of the world, which is interesting because the letters, it seems like come to the student council typically like as a group, as opposed to just showing up for one of them individually. Right. And we don't necessarily know the full contents of this letter either. Mm-mm. Just that like it spurs Sionji to go to the dueling arena because the, the castle is going to descend. Yep. And then we have a really good, weird Shadow Girls segment <laughs> where they're talking about oh, I saw a UFO. No, it was a shooting star. And then they go back and forth. And then they said, uh, I found out all these things when I was a kid. Yeah, so uh, I have it that's here. It's not real. Um, in <laughs> kindergarten, one of them learned that there's no Santa Claus and that wizards, fairies, princes on white horses, and true-hearted friends only exist in fantasy. That's real. That last one is really specific. Those last two, yeah, <laughs> are are a little specific. And so, um, then she says, "Like, please, just let me have UFOs." Yeah, let me have this one thing. I want to believe in one thing. And I think that that cuts at the existential question of this episode, right? Like surrounding um, death and hope and why you go on living knowing that mortality is a fact of life and yeah all of us have like that thing that we keep going for whether it is uh friends family uh kids like or even just like pure hedonistic pleasure whatever it is that keeps you going everyone's got their something that keeps you going in the face of death. And if you look at it too closely, even that starts to break down. 
And so like, there is an intentional level of denial that we all have to practice in order to um, like function and keep going. Like we all have our things that are completely irrational that we hang on to because the irrational parts of life are what make life worth living. Yeah. We're not robots. We are in fact creatures with emotions and uh, the ability to feel pleasure and pain and like hopes and dreams. And... Yeah, exactly. And yeah. A, a hope or a dream is always completely irrational. Yeah. And yet it's still what makes life worth living. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah. And so, like, having that pessimist friend who is always breaking down, uh, like, why you shouldn't believe in things or things like that, it's like, dude, just let me have this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, also important note that I made about the Shadow Girl scene is that we see one of their arms. One of them, like we see one of the shadow girl's arms at one point. So this is confirmation, tinfoil hat time, that they are not puppets. <laughs> <laughs> they are not puppets being, you know, on strings, being like moved around. They are actual people. Now, I do think that they make shadow puppets with their hands still sometimes, but um, they are actual people. So tinfoil hat, you know, conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> not exactly confirmed, not exactly debunked, just had a moment there. Yeah, we see their hands when one of them puts up the... It's like a common Japanese sign for stop. Mm-hmm. Um, or like, knock it off. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah. Yeah, we see that the shadows being cast on the wall are being cast by real people wild never thought we would get that confirmed on episode nine <laughs> <laughs> so then we move to like this whole episode has been intense but we move into the most intense part of this episode which is utena comes home nobody's there it's just choo choo by himself stuffing himself with chips and i don't know if that was like him anxiously <laughs> eating because anthe wasn't there <laughs> or what i read um, that as him like being afraid of talking so he's stuffing his face mm, yeah or alternative alternatively he didn't want Aunt, uh utana to take his chips and so he just shoves them all in his face <laughs> <laughs> with choo-choo it could be any of them um but yeah then we get the phone call and it's you can't tell from the voice necessarily at least i couldn't that it was toga but it pans over to like a shadowed like him and shadow um shot and for me i'm like yeah that's him but uh yeah like let's it sounds like he's masking his voice somehow yes uh and he lets utena know that anthe has been kidnapped and to check the dueling arena uh 
and it cuts over to Sionji dragging Anthe behind him. Really violently, and, too. Like, she is fighting yeah. back hard. Which she normally never does. So, like, that's a big deal. But at, at the same time, like, she, quote-unquote, belongs to, uh, to Utena right now, so... Of course, she's fighting going to the arena with um, Sionji because apparently it's against the rules. <clears throat> apparently it's against the rules for anyone to take the Rose Bride into the dueling arena when there is no duel on. Right. And that she's forbidden to go there without the person she's engaged to. Which is so interesting. Why would that be the case? I guess we see it in the like upcoming scene, but why specifically is that a rule? I I would suggest that like it's part of the privilege of possessing the rose bride. As fucked up as that is, like the perk of being with her is that she only goes to the dueling arena with you, so that her power is only accessible to the person who currently possesses her. But if her power is only to summon a sword, which is all that we've seen so far, then why in the hell would you need to go up there with her by yourself? Well, in this episode, it's hinted that her power also includes reaching the castle. Mm, okay, okay. Um, that makes more sense. Or that, like, somehow possessing her is key to reaching the castle. Like you, it, Like, she's one of the prerequisites of getting there. It's not just enough to have her because, you know, she was being passed around before Utena even arrived. Mm -hmm. And as far as we know, no one has ever been to the castle. Right. Um, that gets a little complicated when you're talking about, like, the manga. But, like, and, like, I think later in the show also, um, there's hints that this might not be the first time that this has happened. But, like, at this moment, what we know is that it's necessary to have her to reach the castle, but just having her isn't enough. She's still just key to it, though. Right. Like, it's not... <laughs> Obviously, just taking her from whoever, quote-unquote, she belongs to isn't going to do it, as we see. <laughs> like... She, you actually have to have won her in whatever duel. Yeah, and so all of this, this entire scene, just reifies her position as property and not a person. Yep. Like even her own reasons for protesting being there is predicated on the rules of the dueling game and not her own personal autonomy and I don't want to fucking go there with you right now, dude. Like, yeah. That alone isn't enough. Right. She doesn't even bring that up. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So Sionji says, tonight we're going to the castle where eternity dwells. The end of the world told him tonight that the castle will come down. And uh, he, like, if I thought that any time Anthe got hit before this was like anything... Uh, I was wrong because he knocks her on her ass. He sends her flying like a good, probably five feet. Um, and 
he goes to open the door and so then at this point, the I shot will say, cuts away. Yeah, at this point, I will say I was wrong last episode when I said I think we're done with the <laughs> Anthony getting hit moments. <laughs> I know they don't go on forever. Um, I think that's why this one took me by such surprise, too, was the force of it. And I thought that we were past this. <laughs> yeah. Um, Honestly, like this, like the first 13 episodes of this show. As many times as I have seen this show, I keep forgetting that this stuff all happens so early. Yeah. Like some of this stuff, I just keep like in my brain, I keep inserting into like the second arc of the show or the third even. I forget that some of this stuff happened right up front. Um, like, I forget that the Curry episode wasn't, like, episode 18. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, I mix up the order of some of these early scenes. And so I apologize for getting this one wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're good. <laughs> um, But, yeah, so there's the shot of Sionji gripping the door handle. And before, like his ring activates with the door it just cuts away and we see utena running into the forest and runs almost runs past or trips over sionji's body which <laughs> dead ass thought he was dead like dead ass thought that that was a dead body yeah like he's, he's face down in the water yeah he must have just gone down if utena was gonna like, save him Right, because how else would he hit? Like, he, there's no way he was he would have survived. There was somehow there were two close calls for death for Sionji that he somehow avoided in this yeah. episode. So she saves him, and they realize they they have this hilarious exchange where um, she's asking where Anthe is, and. He's asking her where Anthe is. And she's like, I'm asking you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> because at some point, apparently, he has been separated from her. And so they look up and the door to the arena is open. We don't get the song. We don't get the climb. It is just eerily quiet. Yeah, I was so spooky. This is part of where that ritual of the song and the climb comes into play. Because without that, without that ritual, its absence wouldn't mean as much as it does right now. But we know that there is a prescribed way that this is supposed to happen. And so the silence, like she doesn't open the door. There's no water droplet touching the ring. You know, there's no opening riff. It is just quiet. And it is so and, unsettling. And the doorway is dark. Typically, it's like really lit with her going up the stair. <laughs> lit. <laughs> no, I mean like. <laughs> right. Like I mean, it, it opens and it opens. It's initially dark and then it lights up and there's the stairway. Yeah. Right. We don't get that this time. No, we do not. It's just a dark, spooky doorway, and there's no sound. 
and they run in and they see a coffin inside of a rose. And it's got the rose uh, imprint on the coffin. That's the same one that, um, that Utena was found in. Yeah. Yeah. The same coffin as her parents were buried in. So the coffin slowly opens up, except, and we keep getting flashbacks to the scene in the funeral, except this time when the coffin opens up, it's Anthe inside of it. Yes. And this is a note for Chesney. Put a star next to this moment in your mind. Mm -hmm. Put a big circle around it. Remember the Anthe in the coffin moment. Okay. This is not the last time we will see this image. Okay. So then we get this Mario jumping puzzle <laughs> where these platforms shoot up from the ground and carry Utena up into the sky along with Anthe in the coffin. And Utena's got to like jump on the from pillar to pillar, uh, just like the original Mario. <laughs> like any good platforming video game. Yep. Uh, but in the meantime, the castle is indeed coming down. But it is not just like descending. It is breaking apart and falling piece by piece. And one of them full on crushes Sionji. It is yeah. so satisfying. <laughs> yeah, because maniacally he... laughing at yep. finally getting to the castle to come down and it comes down right on his head. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing is like Sionji is losing it. And he says, keep your promise. Give me eternity. And then it's just like a meteor strike. <laughs> right. Castle meteor strike right on his ass. And right. I'm like, and of course, like well, the irony of that, it gives yeah. him eternity. He's yeah, dead. Sure <laughs> <laughs> Literally when we were watching the episode, I was like, this dude about to die. And he does. <laughs> you want something but, eternal. Here you go. Here is death. Yeah. Death is eternal. There you go. <laughs> it's the it's the trope of like, be careful what you wish for. Yep. Like you have to if you're wishing for something, you gotta get real specific with the details because otherwise, um otherwise it might just manifest as a giant uh castle tower coming down on your head. And I want to point out, we don't have a dueling song here because there isn't a duel happening. But what we do have is the student council dirge. Oh. Like, we have the, the Crack the World Shell speech song playing in the background where they are about to get the power to revolutionize the world. Sionji is about to get his wish. He's getting something eternal. And it is not what he expected. Nope. And they're calling back to the, the intensity with which the student council is pursuing their goals by playing the student council's song while he is getting crushed by the castle. It is just such it's a so brilliant... Intense. It is such a brilliant use of that song. Yeah. So I have to call this out. When Utena is doing the jumping puzzle, she is full on Legolas jumping, like from 
the third of the Hobbit movies that never should have been made. <laughs> where like she's jumping off of already collapsed platforms. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And she's leaping for Anthe and she grabs her and the rose uh, and the coffin that Anthe is in just like completely shatter in an instant into all these like tiny floating rose petals. It's super romantic, right? It is. I was just about to say that. It's so romantic. It's very um, Orin High School Host Club. <laughs> With all the rose petals floating around. Yep. Um, I told you. But yeah. You would recognize a lot of influence of on that show from this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we cut over to Sionji, who's apparently fine. Still physically there, not crushed by a pillar all of a sudden. And his face is somewhere between... I died and I thought I was going to see God, but instead I saw nothing. Yeah. And it's super unsettling to watch him process the fact that he's actually alive. Yeah. And he thought he had his eternity. Yeah. Like whatever has just happened was an illusion. The platforms are gone. It is just Uten and the, and Utena is trying to wake up Anthe. And Sionji is sitting there processing the fact that none of that just happened. Which is another time on this show where it has faked us out about something happening. But now, unlike every other time, there are three characters in this scene. It is yes. not just Utena opening a door. Right. Somebody else witnessed this. Yeah. And they both reacted to the scene in the same way of their, they both were shocked at the platforms appearing. So they both saw it. And now they are gone with no explanation. Right. And then Sionji says, this wasn't supposed to happen. I was supposed to save her this time. Yeah, check out the and, ego on this guy. Yeah. Rather than comes, actually hop on the platforms and try and save her. Like, this is an important thing. Like, he doesn't compete with her to get to Anthe. He doesn't get on the platforms to go save her. He stands there and calls down the castle. He is so focused on his own goal, he has completely ignored that Anthe is in trouble. And he still and expects I wonder, credit for saving her. And I wonder what would have happened had he taken action. But that's just not in his character. You know, like, he is the he's the person that puts himself first. He's not concerned about Anthe's safety at all. He's just there to watch the castle come down. Anthe was a means to an end. Meanwhile, Utena is entirely about Anthe's safety. Yep. Which I almost, I feel like maybe the key to, it's almost like time rewinding itself as opposed to it being an illusion. Um, because that seems to be a key element in this magical realism too, 
is there's always something about time. So I almost wonder if Utena hadn't gotten there in time, would it have just continued? You know, like, would they all have died? Because I feel like the key to it was her getting to Anthe in time. Okay. Yeah, like, yeah, now that you pointed out, the the moments that we're looking at here both involved rewinding time. Mm-hmm. And had it been any other show, it would be easy enough to dismiss it as just like a character lost in reverie, imagining this happening and then coming back to reality. Right. But on this show, there's just enough blurriness around the edges of these scenes that it's not always clear that it didn't happen. Right. Yeah, no. That's my, there's my tinfoil hat conspiracy for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) It sure is. Um, I want to go back to the point I made early on when you asked about um, Mickey and the stopwatch. Yes. That like Mickey might be aware. Like this is my own personal theory. I think Mickey is aware of the time stuff going on in, in Atori Academy. At least peripherally. At least peripherally. Yeah. Like on a gut level, Mickey knows that something is wrong. Right. He has to because otherwise, what in the world is that stopwatch for? Why why even bother to animate that yeah. in the scenes? I think on like some level, like on a gut level, Mickey recognizes it. And that's why he's doing the timing thing. Yeah. So at this point, Sionji snaps and he draws his sword, which he had his sword with him the whole time, apparently. <laughs> um, Utena, of course, doesn't have hers because Anthe's unconscious and she can't draw the sword out. Right. Um, and so Sionji snaps and is going to attack Utena while her back is turned. Utena is focused on Anthe. And just as Anthe is waking up, she sees Sionji about to attack and tries to warn Utena, but it's too late. And the cut comes down. And just in time, we see this in silhouette, Toga has jumped in front of the blow. And Sionji has cut him instead. And everybody's so taken aback by this that nobody even thinks to question, excuse me, but what the hell are you doing here? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, he's never shown up before this. Like, how did you even know to show up here? Unless you were the one pulling the strings the whole time. And we're about to get to that. Why Mm -hmm. he knew to show up there at that moment. Uh, Mm -hmm. But first, he delivers his line again saying he's a feminist. (laughs) And that's why he did this. He's being chivalrous and saving Utena. Because maybe he's her prince after all. Yeah, he says something like, 
Because her prince was a guy like him. Like Toga, wasn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then we get one of the most interesting scenes, I would say, in the show so far. Yeah. Toga is in bed. And it's one of those, like, four-post beds with, like, the gauzy uh, curtains around it. And there are two girls in his bed <laughs> just, like, <laughs> hanging out while he's on the phone. They because, are... of course, they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they're just shown in silhouette, so we don't know who they are. My personal theory is it's, like, Keiko and Yuko. I was going to say, <laughs> it's probably part of the trio. Yeah. Um, so, or it's Kozue. But oh, I don't true. think, I don't think either of them, like, I don't think their silhouette matches that, um, that perfect little bob cut that she has. Yeah. Um, but he is on the phone and he reveals that he sent the letter to Sionji. And he says, yes, I sent it in your name. Implying that the person on the other end of that phone is the end of the world. So Toga, at least, is on a, a first name basis with this person. Like, Toga takes his phone calls. He doesn't get letters. Nope. Which, what a reveal. Right. <laughs> Which, again, puts us back into the question of if Toga is that close to the end of the world, is he the prince? Again, I feel like the show is... The show and Toga <laughs> himself are pushing for that. And it almost feels like Toga's manipul manipulating the show to make it feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> Like, he's got some kind of, like, fourth wall breaking power to, like, wrangle the storyline. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no. So, definitely on a on a personal relationship level with the end of the world uh, to where they, you know, talk on the phone all the time like besties. Uh, Toga says that he sent that letter to Sionji. He also says... Oh yeah, don't worry about me. It's a sh it's a shallow wound. I just like to be dramatic. <laughs> yeah, I one of the things that's left unstated, but is implied in what he says is he is also not afraid of the consequences of acting no. in the end of the world's name without the end of the world's permission. Yeah, no. At he's no not point afraid. in the yeah, at no point in this conversation does he give any hint that he is concerned about what will happen to him for doing something in like his boss or whatever their relationship is, like in that character's name. Oh yeah, no. It's right up there with the way that Utena treats the school counselor or Jury treats the vice principal. These are students who bow to no actual authority. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where he delivers that masterfully creepy and awful line of anyone who believes in true friendship is a fool. 
Yeah. And then hangs up. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, again, to your point, power move. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah, I don't know that I would hang up on somebody who's got power like the end of the world. Right. Like that. So, but like okay. that leaves open the question, who is the end of the world? What is Toka's actual relationship to this person that he can just do all of this with no seemingly yeah. no consequence? And yeah. Oh, and also Sionji's getting expelled. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's part of it too. You don't get to attack the student council president and not get expelled. Even if yeah. you're besties. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although I'm pretty sure like the expulsion has more to do with the fact that he kidnapped the Rose Bride, right? Like I don't I, know about that one. <laughs> well, I mean, I would think uh it would be attacking because obviously they're not going to say like where they were. They're not going to tell the adults of the show where they were uh, or about the dueling arena. I think that the expulsion was more on the grounds of you attacked a student outside of like the training grounds with a sword. You I know, think like, like a you normal can... school, that would be true. <laughs> I just think back to the early episodes where it's revealed to us that like, Anyone who breaks the rules of the dueling disappears. Oh, I forgot about that. And okay. the hurting someone with a sword is clearly not against the rules in this school, but taking mm -hmm. the bride to the arena without permission is. Okay. So then that makes me feel like the this end of the world person is like, a principal or a chairman or something of the school. Okay. Because if that's the rule, if that's the rule that they're following, uh, a, how do you know about the, the Rose bride? Like, why would that be grounds for expulsion? You know, because sure. they're, they're not supposed to know about it. Sure. So I'm like, okay, well, hmm, I think the end of the world is somebody who's associated with like, the oversight of the school and for whatever reason has seen fit to just like play around with high schoolers lives like they're puppets and nothing else yeah i mean it does beg the question like what the fuck does the end of the world want with these kids yeah either way it's messed up because it's like these are just children man like <laughs> What are you doing? You're a full ass adult messing around with kids. Like that's weird on so many levels. <laughs> Putting it mildly. Okay. So yeah. what are your predictions for next time? <sighs> Toga being dramatic as always because he wrapped up his arm and it looks like it's been chopped off, even though that wasn't even a thing. Um, and it's his birthday party. And we get from the dialogue that Nanami apparently becomes a duelist. So we're getting another Nanami episode, which I'm excited about. I like her episodes. Um, so, I mean, of course, she's probably going to challenge Utena 
I mean, there's probably going to be some sort of interaction between Toga and Utena, and then Nanami overhears or oversees, and then is like, I'm challenging you. But I wonder what the piece is in between that where she figures out or finds out about like dueling as a concept, as opposed to like these underhanded ways that she's been trying to get at Utena and Anthe ever since. So this will be the first time that she challenges her under like the legitimate rules. Um, As legitimate as these rules can be, they are the, the quote unquote legitimate power structure of this school. This is the first time she's going to openly challenge Utena under those rules. Yeah. Exciting stuff. Here's my question for you. There Mm -hmm. is a creepy shot at the very end of the preview of Nanami, like as a child, like she's still a child, (laughs) but like as a little kid standing on top of like a, a ledge of some kind and looking down. What is the context of that scene? Oh, I thought it was just like a little stone wall or something that she was standing on. I didn't even catch that. I was honestly so disturbed by the size of um, uh, Nanami's head. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's child. That is genuinely like uncanny valley level creepy. Um, <laughs> that's like uh, bobblehead level. Um, yeah. But what do you think is happening in that scene? I haven't the slightest idea. Some sort of dramatic delivery. I thought she was standing on top of a wall or potentially even like a above ground like tomb or something. Grave, you know, those cemented in ones. Okay. What's she looking down at? I don't remember. No, like it's not shown. I'm asking you for your prediction. Oh, um. <laughs> uh... Hmm. I don't know if we're going with the above ground, like grave or tomb could be their parents. Everybody's parents seems to be dead or missing in this. So why not continue that? <laughs> okay. Um, Especially because, you know, it very well could have been, they have so much money that their parents just like died and left a massive inheritance to them both. So looking down like Scrooge McDuck on like her fortune. <laughs> <laughs> Like diving into a pool of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So where can folks find us online? So uh, Autumn and I both have personal accounts that you can find us at. Um, I'm at CarCutie on pretty much everything, which is K-A-R-Q-U-E-U-E-T-I-E. Um, and that's Twitch, Twitter, um instagram and tiktok and i am life in neon on twitch and on twitter you can find the podcast on twitter at zetai unme pod and if you have any questions for us you can write in at our gmail um absolute destiny a podcast at gmail.com and if you're listening to this on itunes uh, leave a rating, leave a comment. Uh, we will read them. We will read all the stuff you send us. And uh, those likes and comments help us like 
get seen on those platforms. So the more you can do to help promote the show, the more people listen and the more fun we all get to have as a community. Yeah.